Welcome to the Quick Talk Podcast with Joshua Latimer, where we discuss business, life, family, faith, struggle, fire, pain, and ultimately winning. It's time to take massive action. Look, I, I can't work harder on your life or business than you do. It's ultimately all on you. You know, God created all the food the birds would ever need, but he doesn't put it in their nest. You've got to go get it. 10 out of 10 people die. So how about doing something today that actually matters while you still can? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Quick Talk Podcast. I want to tell you a secret. If in the future, or maybe I'll say when, when you finally build a big, large, automated business that is everything you could have ever imagined and a single tear of joy slowly rolls down your cheek and you're super excited, when you look back at what you've just done, I promise you that what I'm about to say will be true for you. You're going to realize that that business that you built happened by design, not on accident. But when you have a really small company or you're stuck or you're in the the valley of uncertainty and the you know it's just hard, it doesn't feel like that. And it feels like, you know, the universe is working against you or circumstance is working against you or, you know, Josh, you don't understand in our market, there's no good workers or on and on and on and on, your stuff breaks, whatever. There's lots of challenges, adversity, all of that's real, but it doesn't take away from the fact that the ultimate outcome of your business is absolutely going to happen by design, not by accident. I hope you enjoyed yesterday's podcast, uh, my session with Chris Lambernini. He's talking about automation and how to build automation and what that means and the system that I use to create systems, <laughs> all kinds of different things. Uh, we have two more sessions. Today, we're going to talk about growing. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. This is a long session. It's powerful. Uh, this is probably a podcast you might want to like take notes when you, when you listen to it, or at least take down notes on your phone of the bullet points or something. Because if the information just goes in your head and it makes you feel warm and fuzzy, and then you're not documenting it, you're not implementing it, it can't change anything. There's not going to have any effect on your actual outcome for you. If you implement just a portion of what we talk about today, you'll make more money tomorrow. I promise. Take care. God bless. Let's get started. Hey everybody, welcome to part two grow of the epic webinar series hosted by yours truly, Joshua Latimer and Chris Lambernini's. We are trying to teach you guys how exactly to automate, grow, and eventually sell your business or have a business that you could sell more specifically. I'm doing great coming to you from Costa Rica. I have monkeys in my yard. What a, Once again, Chris, you're in New Jersey. How are things up there? Uh, things are great here, Josh. It's uh, the first day of fall, beautiful weather, the leaves are starting to change. It's lovely. Oh, that's good. I do miss the change of colors. Here it's just perfection all the time, and it kind of gets a little boring, you know? I mean... Uh, oh, perfection all the time gets boring? Really? <laughs> I'm just rubbing it in. No, I'm just kidding. I do miss Michigan. Well, let's talk about growing your company, Chris. We've both grown Actually, we both founded, grew, and exited and sold service companies, and that's not something that many people have done. It's been a really wild, cool experience, and we want to share those insights with our viewers. Um, but before we even start, shooting from the hip is bad. Would you agree with that? Yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I started off by shooting from the hip, but you, you quickly learn that uh, nothing is quite scalable when you're doing that. 
Right, and let's talk about scalable. I mean, what does scalable mean? Maybe people have just heard that word for the first time. I mean, to me, scalable means you can take the, the little business that you have right now, you can multiply the amount of customers you have by 100, and everything will still work, right? Like, it won't break. Like, there's some, there's th- the right things in place so that you can really grow quickly. Is that what scalable means to you? Yeah, you have, you have the right m- mixture of things in place where you know it shouldn't matter if you're doing a hundred thousand dollars in revenue per month or two hundred and fifty thousand. If things are set up right, you should be able to scale up and scale up quickly based on the systems and processes you've put in place. Right, and so if you're a technician, if you're the guy, you do all the work yourself, which is how all of us start out, and you want to grow your business. You have to recognize that the way you have it set up today is, by definition, not scalable because you do all the work, right? So there's only so only only so much work you can do per hour, per day, per week. When you reach that maximum threshold, you're done. That's it. That's a, you're, there's a ceiling around you, right? Yeah, you're you're limited by your sweat. Yeah, exactly. So building a business and having extreme growth is all about systems and automation that that will let your business scale. It will allow your business to grow and expand. And yeah, there's growing pains. Yeah, there's contractions. There's a little some weird stuff that can happen as you're going. But even having basic systems in place can make that possible. So let's talk about the growth pie chart, right? So I broke down, you know, what you need to have in place to really be able to grow, right? You need to have the ability to service your customer, right? So if you're a one-man show, and you get the opportunity to do a bid for a 72-chain hospital business across five states, that might not be the right timing (laughs) because you don't have the ability to service it yet, right? So when you're really small, focus on what what your sweet spot is right then, and then you want to grow into maybe some of those bigger things. So it's important if you're going to grow that you have the ability to service what you're trying to sell. Uh, the second thing is the marketing calendar. Chris, you're a specialist with this. How important is it to have a marketing calendar uh, when it comes to growth? It's it's everything, really. Um, you know, a marketing calendar doesn't need to be a scary thing. It can be something very, very simple. Um, you know, it could, it could just start off as you know a one month view of your business and what little things are you going to do each day to bring more work in, to get the phone to ring? Are you going to send an email on this day? Are you going to send a postcard on that day? Are you going to do outbound calls on this day? And looking at it in a calendar or in a spreadsheet with dates is extremely important because then you can coordinate and optimize those activities to work in synergy with each other. Yeah, and there is a huge difference between marketing and sales. To me, marketing is what makes your phone ring it's any kind of a phone call generator, any kind of phone call generating mechanism. That's marketing. And then sales is taking the phone call and converting it into dollars in your bank account, right? Exactly, yeah. I look at it the same way. Okay, good. Well, if you have the ability to service in place and you have a marketing calendar, you have a game plan, you're thinking long term, right? You prepare for the seasonality of your business in advance, right? That's what the marketing calendar is all about. The next yep. thing would be to reverse engineer uh, a plan for growth. So begin with the end in mind. So where are we trying to go? And this doesn't have to be your ultimate destination, but where are we trying to go in the next 12 months, 18 months, 24 months, even six months, even the next quarter? 
So figure out you know the next leg in your in your growth goals, and then we're going to revert. We're going to begin with the end of mind and work backwards from that to build a plan that makes sense for your business. And then the last part is to optimize your channels. Decide, delineate, deploy, and optimize. So you need to keep monitoring all these things and tweaking as we go along and as your business starts to grow. Uh, before we go on back digging deeper into the ability to service, Chris, in my business in Michigan, we were overwhelmed with work in May and June. And mm-hmm. what would happen is I would never do any marketing at all in May and June because I was in survival mode. But then in July and August, we were starving to death and like I didn't know if we could buy groceries the next week and so I'd be in panic mode. And then I'd do all this marketing and all this crazy stuff like a madman and then I would stop again. And it was like this vicious cycle. <laughs> I- yeah. Uh, you know, a marketing calendar will help you avoid that because really what it comes down to is you should be marketing continually even when you can't handle any more work because the time's going to likely come in a couple weeks or a month when you don't have that big influx of work and if you're not laying the marketing out a few weeks beforehand you're going to be left high and dry yeah and the whole essence of a service business especially a home service business is there's huge peaks and valleys big dips in the way that you collect your revenue throughout the year Uh, i don't think there's a lot of service businesses that collect the exact same amount of revenue every month year round. Everybody has busy seasons and slow seasons and you need to like remember that that's going to happen and prepare for it ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think those those peaks and valleys that you just described, we always, you know, had two peaks and two valleys. Up in the spring, up in the fall, down in the winter, and down in the summer. And our number one problem could always be distilled back to that seasonality. We'd scale up, we'd ramp up, we'd have a ton of work, we'd have a lot of great guys on the schedule, and then not enough work. People would inevitably have to leave before the next busy season and the poor cycle would start all over again. Yes, yes, that is a really, that's one of the hard reasons, that's one of the reasons it's hard to scale a cleaning business specifically or any kind of seasonal business is the ability to retain top talent and all that. So, it's hard to have a perfect scenario, but building simple systems inside your business will help you smooth out those peaks and valleys. I'm not saying it's going to be perfect. What I'm saying is instead of a, a, a sharp increase and a sharp decrease and another sharp, instead it'll be more of a rolling hill and your business can weather those storms a lot easier. Would you agree? Yeah, totally. It took me a good five or six years to figure out how to kind of avoid that summer slowdown. Um, and inevitably what we did was people, when we were charging our highest prices in the spring that called in for an appointment that did not want to pay what we were charging at that time of year, we offered them basically what they wanted to pay in July and August when we were slow. So in July and August, the company wasn't spitting off money like fireworks, but we retained the talent for that next busy season that we knew was coming in the fall. Yep, exactly. And let's roll right into the ability to service. So you maybe your company needs an employee recruiting system. I talked a little bit about this in webinar part one, the automate, but my company would go out and find great employees because when you start to really grow your business, it's like hungry for good, talented people. And rather than rely on Craigslist, maybe figure out a way to go go find top people yourself and like Chris you said you should always be hiring 
all the time, even when you don't need any more new employees. Yeah. If you, if you go to hire when you really, really need somebody or you start looking when you really, really need somebody, you're going to get a poor hire because you're going to make a, a fast decision just to fill the seat and yep. it's not going to be a great fit. Oh, I've hired people that I knew for a fact would blow up in my face. <laughs> I knew for 100%. I'm looking at the guy saying, all right, you start on Monday. And as I'm saying the words, like with my fake smile, I'm thinking, oh, this is a really bad idea. This is bad. What am I doing? What am I doing? But, you know, I, I didn't plan ahead and I didn't have yeah. a recruiting system yet. So anyway, you guys, maybe you need an employee training plan uh, system. So, you know, mine started out as a three-day thing. We talked about our history and our company culture. We did all the little HR paperwork and set them up on direct deposit. And, and then we would train them you know it took three days we'd go do various different things but start even if it's one day put something in place that begins the process of systemizing your training procedures that way you'll have a higher ability to service when the pressure is applied and you start to grow because if you start to grow and you get busy and your marketing's killing it and you don't have an employee training system in place and you don't have an employee recruiting system in place you're going to start feeling the pain <laughs> Yeah, and right away. Yeah, I mean, the the byproduct of marketing working is the ability to service gets strained, right? So we need to prepare for that ahead of time. So service tech quality measures. How do you maintain a high level of service even when you're experiencing rapid growth? That's a thing. And maybe you're just a one-person employee, so it's not on your radar right now, right? Because you do a great job. You're the man, I get it. You you know the pH of the chemical or the thing, and you you're at a technical level. You are <laughs> the man, but you're watching this webinar because you want to build a business and not just be self-employed. You're watching this webinar because you want to take it up a notch or take it up to the next level. So, write this down. You need to prepare for the ability to service if you're going to grow your business. You need to recruit employees, train employees, and have quality assurance measures in place. Uh, for those employees to make sure that they do a good job like you did. Here's a big one, Chris. How do they finance their growth? Guys don't realize that it costs a ton of money to grow a business. It's not free. You can't rapidly grow something unless it goes totally viral for some reason, and that doesn't happen in service businesses, I don't think. How how does that work for a guy who has a couple hundred customers and they want to have a couple thousand? They got to build out a way to finance that growth, right? Yeah, uh, you know, there's a few different ways you can do it. You know, there's there's loans and things like that available to you. I, I'm pretty debt adverse, and I never really wanted to take on uh, money with any type of interest that I had to pay it back. Um, so, you know, I, I basically self funded. I I stole from my own salary to fund the yes. company for continual growth. I I lived way 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 below my means for many many years to put every dollar back into the company. Yes. I did the same thing. Me and my business partner did the same thing. We took really meager salaries for a lot of years because we knew we had to purchase our growth. You have to pay for it. You're going to have a customer acquisition cost. And if you want to get 2,000 new customers, each one of those costs a certain amount of dollars. You got to pay for that. Not all next week, but you pay for it over time. And one of the easiest ways, and I would also recommend to be debt adverse, is to lower the amount that you pay yourself down to the absolute minimum viable amount that you can survive on and reinvest. You got to get in the habit of spending money on your business to grow it, right? Delay the gratification. It is so, so, so worth it later. Yeah. It'll be paid back in spades. Um, 
it, you know, it, it can be depressing. I found it, I found it extremely depressing. Many a payroll period, figuring out that I was the lowest paid person again <laughs> that week at the company. But I just kept, you know, just just trying to trying to look look at the day where I headed up to scale and it would all come back to me. Yep, and it does. It does. It absolutely does. And then then you're getting a great living, working a few hours on your business a week. When I started my software company, I still had Birds Beware, my window cleaning business, pressure cleaning business, and uh, I worked three, four hours a week. It was less than five a week for two straight years in that business. I, I basically transitioned completely out, and um, other than playing ping pong with the operations manager and, and having meetings with you know some of our key people once a week, I didn't do anything, And but that only happened because I took a tiny paycheck for a long time, built systems put the right people in the right space and then that that was the result though and how how awesome is that it was quite eye opening for me when i realized that the business kind of functioned better without me being in the business and i was a little taken aback by that at first but eventually you learn what a great thing it is i can disappear for a week or two at a time and everything's cool when i come back Right, and the first time you do that is such a weird feeling. <laughs> I don't know if you it's remember. Terrifying. Oh, it's it's crazy. I, I'll never forget the first time I left a job site, and I went to a Chinese buffet to eat lunch with my mom. Right, so I met her in town, and we sit there. And this is the lady. You know, she wouldn't talk to me for a week when I started my business because she thought I was insane. Right, and then she didn't. She was mad at me when I sold my business too. <laughs> <laughs> She's not an entrepreneur at all, so I love her and forgive her for that. But I meet her at this buffet, and I'm sitting there eating like with this weird, weird feeling in my stomach. Like, this is so weird because they're doing this huge job, several hundred dollar job. I wasn't there for the first time. They knew what to do. I, I, I could have stayed there. I just left kind of for the point of leaving because that was the direction I was headed in. Um, it's incredible. If you haven't experienced that, you don't know what you're missing. You were likely feeling guilt at first. Yes, I did. But, you know, when, when you realize how powerful it is, the guilt fades. Well, yeah. I mean, when, when my first – well, he was my second employee hired ever. But when he got a mortgage and bought a home a few years after I had hired him, I mean, that is a different type of feeling that is just incredible. Because you building this business isn't just going to help your life. It's going to enhance all the lives of your customers. It's going to enhance the lives of – the people that work for you that you bring in on your team. And it's the whole thing is just incredible. So let's keep rolling here, Chris. So ability to service, accounting and, and office processes. If you start to grow and you don't have this, at least at a basic level in place, like a way to answer the phone, a way to keep track of the money, a way to deposit in the bank, a way to do payroll. If, if you don't have that in place and you think you're going to grow your business, you're missing it because you need to have these things ready to go now, then start marketing and trying to scale your business. Also, paperwork for your technicians uh, can be really important too because just total chaos will happen if you don't have this stuff in place up front, right? Yeah. I, I always kind of looked at it as um, trying to repair a plane in air while it was flying. You know, as, you, as you're growing, you keep hitting, keep hitting these different plateaus where different things need to be done, different things need to be added, different things need to be systemized. And you kind of have to look at the whole company, all the moving parts at once and quickly throw these things together while you're deciding which one is most important to do. It's, it's yeah. a daunting ca- task, but it's doable. It is daunting. And the good news is you don't have to do it all 
today. You can do it as you go. But our goal with this webinar, guys, is to help get the gears turning and get the wheels turning in your head so that you kind of start thinking correctly about the how to even start doing this, right? So if you're going to grow your business, there's some little things you want to line up first. And one of those, again, is a marketing calendar. It helps you identify the seasonality of your business so you can see it. It helps you plan for the entire year. You need to be very specific with your marketing calendar. Um, and then make sure that you're accounting for the costs of your marketing in your budget. Uh, we like to use a multi-channel approach. One specific thing isn't necessarily as good as two or three different mediums to reach your customers. And then review it weekly or monthly. Chris, I'm going to let you run with this because you have a really cool way that you handle your marketing calendar and how you get more specific with things as you get closer to the date. If you could break that down, that'd be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as I mentioned earlier, a marketing calendar is super important. And it doesn't need to be overly complex. I literally just keep mine in a Google document um, with a couple different tabs for the quarters of the year. And I usually start thinking about my marketing calendar four years before, uh, four months before the next season starts. So right now I'd kind of be thinking about 2016 a little bit. And literally I would just kind of go through the spreadsheet and I would look at a regular calendar and I would just start jotting down some things like, ah, first day of spring, first day of fall, mother's day, father's day, uh, school gets out, graduation. And I would lay those out kind of where they happened in the dates. And then I would start building some relevant things around them, such as, all right, we're going to do a first day of spring mailing here. Okay, we're going to do a uh, graduation special email here. And it would start all as broad strokes. And then as I got into the quarter, I would refine it a little bit. I would I would break it down week by week and figure out, all right, we're going to call these past customers on this day. We're going to mail to this area on that day. And um, it really all starts coming together. And by having all your marketing things that you're doing in one place, your marketing mix, it allows you to kind of coordinate the activities and coordinate where you're working. You know, we would we we service 285 zip codes, and we would build a lot of our marketing calendar around drive time zones. So we may hit this quarter over here of our service area all at once to avoid drive time. Um, there's, there's a lot of really great benefits to having one. One is you get all your ideas in one place and you make sure that they happen. And two, it allows you to continually tweak and iterate what you have going on to get the maximum dollar out of what you're spending. Yeah. And sometimes that was really, really good stuff, first of all. Really good. And sometimes before you do things like this you kind of think i don't know what am i going to put down on it what i don't know what to put maybe i'll do a postcard maybe i'll do it. but guys as you start going through the process you'll your brain will turn into an idea factory and as you start to visualize it and seeing it laid out that's when the things will pop in boom i should do this i need to do this here i need to do that there and it kind of gets like this snowball effect as you start working on it yeah, and just yeah, just the key is even if you even if you have no ideas, you have a a blank palette. Just just get in there and just start jotting down ideas, mind map it, do yeah. whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Just do something because having something is better than nothing. So create what we call a minimum viable system to start, and don't forget to reverse engineer. So let's say that you want to get a thousand new customers over the next two years. Well, okay, that's fine. Let's break that down a little bit. Let's reverse engineer that. So. Uh, uh, t let's do easy numbers. You want 
you want um, twenty or twelve hundred new customers over twenty four months, right? So it's fifty customers a month. Well, what's your customer acquisition cost? Let's say it's ten bucks. That would be really cheap, but let's say it's ten bucks. So you need to spend. 50 customers a month times 10 bucks to get there, right? So you can start to take your marketing calendar, start to take your, your end goal, reverse engineer, use the two together, and build out kind of a month over month over or year over year goal and figure out kind of what's needed where, when's the busy season, when's the slow season. But having these Google Docs, these spreadsheets, these charts going, they help you visualize the plan. And if you want to grow, you got to have a plan. If you remember the first slide, we don't shoot from the hip, right? Your growth is not the result of luck. It's the result of you working the plan and beginning with the end in mind. Yeah. One of the main things I always reversed engineered was our sales goals. Uh, I would start with, all right, I, I know I want to make 10% over last year, so that brings the number to X. Okay, we have nine real working months in the season, break it down farther. Okay. Uh, keeping seasonality in mind, we need to do this much this month, this much that month, and that much this month. Mm -hmm. And from there, break it down to a day level. We need to be bringing in 1500 bucks, 20 working days per month in order to hit this. Boom. Let's start there. How do we do it? And just work your way back the whole way. Yep, exactly, man. You could even get really crazy and make it down to an hourly goal <laughs> if you really wanted to be on it. But that wouldn't yeah. that wouldn't hurt you. That would help you. You know, all this stuff brings peace and stability to your business, and that's what you need to be able to effectively grow quickly. You can't have chaos. You can't have shooting from the hip. You can't. You need to have. Where are you going? Where are you today? What does the seasonality of your business look like? And exactly how can you get there? So. One of the, the items on this slide is identify CAC per channel. That means identify your customer acquisition cost per channel. You need to figure out how much does it cost you to harvest one brand new shiny customer ready to pay you money for the thing that you do. How much does it cost per channel? And all the channel is is uh, a way to market. So postcards could be a channel. Facebook could be a channel. Word of mouth could be a channel. Referrals could be a channel. Um, uh, Google AdWords could be a channel door hangers, door knocking, I don't know, flyers, all those are different channels. Figure out what your what it costs you to harvest one new brand new shiny customer. And then when you have your your goal and you know your customer acquisition cost and you have month over month, that's what mom means, month over month, when you have all those things laid out, it all kind of fits together like a puzzle and then you're going to have a real plan. It's awesome. Yeah. And one of the really cool things about being on top of your CAC is as you start to get a real feel for it and you can detect the patterns, you can build that cost right into the service. Oh, it's 30 bucks on direct mail? Well, our average house has got 30 windows. I think we need to uh, increase window prices by one buck per window. Ta-da, covered. There you go. Boom. Paid for. That's that's a way to finance your growth. And God, this this stuff gets really interesting if you can just start and kind of lay out what, what the deal is for your specific business. Now, this graph, or I'm sorry, this spreadsheet that you see in front of you, I don't want to confuse you, but this is a way, this is something I use in my business to look at my year-over-year -year growth. But more than that, I looked over my month-over-month uh, growth. And so what it would help me understand is where my big months were, where my valleys were, and you can see patterns in your business. So uh, this is just to give you an idea of what a document can look like. Uh, here's another example of a way to figure out 
how much money I would need to spend to hit a certain monthly goal, right? So I want I want to break down a sample for everybody. Chris, help me and cut me off if I'm being confusing because I do not want to confuse people. I want this to be a valuable, but it might be a little confusing. So first of all, let's create next year's revenue goal. Let's pretend that it's $100,000, okay? And let's divide that yearly goal into months using the percentage method, okay? Now, let's say that your business does 3% of its revenue in January, 4% of it in February, 5% in March, 10% in April, and so on and so on and so on. If you notice, July is the biggest month in this example at 16%, right? And how do you get these numbers? You look at your last year's numbers. You figure out how much of your revenue you did each month last year. Right, and that will give you a good baseline to build projections for for next year. So, if if you understand me so far, if we're going to build a goal around a hundred thousand dollar revenue goal, that goal would look like this. Look at the bottom: three thousand dollars in January is what's needed. Four thousand in February is what's needed. If you scooch over to July, we need to do sixteen thousand in July to hit our goal. Is is that making sense so far? How am I doing, Chris? Doing good. The key thing is just to understand the reason why you're divvying it up that way. Because if you want to make a hundred thousand dollars in the year, you know you could simply divide by twelve and get eight thousand three hundred something. But doing it that way isn't going to be really feasible because the chances of you making that in January compared to July aren't the same. In July, you could significantly be doing more than you can be doing in January in most service businesses. Exactly. It's not real life. In a service business, there's ebbs and flows, peaks and valleys. So we need to deal with real data. And if this is your first year in business, you're going to have to guess a little bit or network with people in the business to get an idea of when those ebbs and flows are. But you can find out this information if you want it bad enough. Okay, so let's keep going. Then you need to subtract your monthly goal. Okay, so January, remember January was 3%, which turned into $3,000 of our $100,000 goal. 3% of it needed to be done in January to be on pace to hit our goal. Okay, so the total monthly goal for January, 3000 We need to subtract uh, the organic revenue your business is going to get. Okay, so this is what I mean by that. You're going to get repeat business from people you already have, right? You have to decide what percentage that is. But for our example, let's say that I anticipate on being able to get $1,500 in January just from the, the book of business I already have in place. And then I expect to get $500 in revenue in January because that's a, an accurate projection based on the amount of referrals I've been getting, the amount of walk-ups to my truck, the amount of people stopping in my office, whatever the case is. Organic business is business that just falls in your lap basically. And it's real. So you can count it in your projections. You just want to make sure it's really true and accurate. Uh, So if this example is true, you have a $3,000 goal for next January. You're expecting to get $1,500 in repeat business and $500 in new business that's organic that you didn't have to go acquire for money. So what do you need in new growth? You only need $1,000 in new growth, right? So now you have an exact target of new growth revenue per month. And this number is huge because now we know exactly what we need to do to reach our $100,000 goal. So hopefully that made sense. I wanted to do a real example. If I lost some of you, I'm sorry. Maybe watch it again or send me a message. But 
how critical, Chris, is it to have a whole year's worth of goals broken down month over month and broken down to the portion of that goal that's needed with by new growth, new customers? It's it's, it's everything. the most the most critical thing ever. If you want to hit the goal, it's got to be done that way. There, there's no other way it's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, really, it's you can't grow your business um, in any kind of measurable or predictable way at all unless you do this. So, But you see, getting through that and muscling through the spreadsheets and pulling the data and looking at last year, and if you could just power through that, you are going to be dangerous, my friend. You're going to be ready to go because now you say, okay, I got a thousand bucks. I need to get a new business. I can do this. Here's my customer acquisition cost is fifty bucks. So I know I need to get this many new customers this month, right? Or I need to spend this many dollars on flyers, or this many dollars on Facebook ads, or this many whatever. Now, now you just basically pick a medium or a channel and then just do it, right? Yeah, yeah. And let's talk about optimizing your channels. A lot of young businesses they don't know what works yet. And one of the reasons they don't know what works is because they don't, they're freaked out to spend money. They're freaked out to try stuff. Um, with my software business, um, I told you this before, but we send out, it sends out postcards. And the postcards with Send Jim, they get really high response rates because there's a picture of the actual house of the person on the postcard. And on the back of the card is a real price for that house, okay? So we're trying to sell our software. We're going to service businesses saying, dude, you can get new customers like at will. Send them a postcard with a picture of their own house on it and a price in the back. Well, people are using it and having success with it, but some people would send out like 50 cards and then they would email us and say, your thing doesn't work. <laughs> and I, I was like, I thought it was a joke. I'm like, did you forget to type two zeros next to the 50? What are you, ta- what are you talking about? Like, the sample size is too small. You, you can't gauge anything with 50 cards. No, it, they're scared to spend money. I mean, 50 cards with our system is like 30 bucks or something. It's super cheap. But my point being this, to optimize your channels, you have to know what channels even will work for you. And to know what channels will work for you, you have to do stuff and try it. And you have to spend money. That's where that low salary comes in, guys. Some of this money has to be you know, sacrificed to figure out what makes your phone ring, right? You got you to gotta send it out to battle and some of your little dollars are going to die. <laughs> yeah. Some of them are going to come back with friends. And we need to find out... What channel will let your dollars return to you with friends? And the key is just to keep keep testing, iterating, and changing on what you're sending out. Keep keep changing, split testing, figure out a way that makes it a little bit better. Then then build off that, then build off that again. Um, I, I was at a point many, many years ago where we were sending out over a million pieces of direct mail per year. And I was looking at what was being spent on that, and it was absolutely crazy. And I said, we must cut that this year. And to do that, we really needed to go back, analyze the results on each piece, and build off what we knew was working and you know, bring out new designs and new concepts and really just iterate. And we were able to like cut what we were sending in half almost. Unbelievable. And you still got the same results, right? Same, yeah, yeah. We, we, we had 10% growth that year, but we mailed out almost half as many cards. And that, that's phenomenal to me. Oh, that's insane. And that's a perfect example of optimizing a channel. I mean, that, that's literally what you just described. You took a channel, direct mail, and you optimized it. Well, if you haven't even decided what channels your business needs yet, or you haven't even marketed 
in any way, you're not using Send Gym or you're doing flyers or you haven't started doing direct mail or whatever it is that you do, you need to do that first at a minimum level and, and be consistent with it and make it part of your marketing calendar. Then after you have data, after you know how it's really going, that's when you can optimize, right? Chris could have never optimized his cards and cut the cost in half but still had growth if he hadn't done the million dollars in cards to begin with because that's what gave him a tremendous amount of data to even work with, right? I just wish I had started doing it sooner. I would have saved a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, I bet. That's, that isn't <laughs> a lot of mailing. Um, and make sure you review all of your stuff you know, weekly or monthly and measure everything that you can. And if you're small, maybe you don't measure a lot, but measure what you can. So let's do a quick recap here, Chris. Um, you need to have the ability to service accounts if you're going to grow. And that has to do with training and quality control measures being in place and recruiting. You need to have a marketing calendar because your business probably has seasonality. We need to identify that up front, know that it's coming, and build a plan to, to not take away the seasonality but to level the road a little bit so it's not a total cliff down and a total steep hill up. Try to bridge those valleys a little bit. We need to reverse engineer You know what specifically is our goal, what's our customer acquisition cost, and then work backwards and use the month-over-month system uh, to build a plan for yourself. And then optimize your channel. So whatever is making your phone ring, make it ring even more for a cheaper cost. That's basically what optimizing your channels means. Just on the ability to service, to give you a real-life example, when I first started my business the first four or five years, you know, we started getting inquiries for a lot of bigger jobs, corporate jobs, two, three, four-day projects, and... I was really excited by that at first because you know these big contracts are very appealing, big payouts. But when I started crunching the numbers on the on it and learning the hard way a little bit, we had a we had a like completely step back from doing that type of work because it did not fit with our growth model. What we really needed to be doing was residential jobs because we can get top dollar for them. We weren't competing so much on price, and more importantly, they usually paid that day. We were not waiting 30 to 45 to 60 days for a check when I already fronted the payroll a month ago. Yeah, and that's huge. Chasing money stinks, but when when you're small, I think it's an ego thing. You want to be able to get the huge contract. You want to be able to say that you landed some big deal. Because it builds your confidence, and let's be honest, it's awesome to say that you service a university or you know General Motors or something. But um, make sure it's a good fit for your business, for where your business is today. And your sweet spot was residential. Our sweet spot was residential as well. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's a good point. So let's talk about the two types of sales, okay? There's reactive and proactive. Now, these are my own words used to describe this, and people might use other words, but reactive sales to me is something that falls in your lap. It's like a baseball that's thrown to you, okay? You just catch it. You just got to field it. And believe it or not, it's, it's kind of shocking how many businesses fail even at this level, Chris. Like people don't answer their phone. They won't return an email. It's like, hey, um, my name's Josh. I want to give you money. Can, will you take my money? And then they don't. They won't take my money. I, I can't wrap my head around that. Um, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> anyway, so inbound phone calls, inbound emails, people that just get you as a referral. They walk up. They see your truck. Maybe they see you working at their neighbor's house, and so they come over. 
those are important and that's a valid way to grow your business um, but it's not something that you have direct control over as much because it's just it just kind of happens to you now proactive on the other hand is you you're the guy throwing the baseball okay you get to pick something aim at it and chuck that ball now an example of proactive sales is you know direct mail outbound calls upselling systems stuff like that so systems when it comes to growing okay because this is webinar part two grow when it comes to growing systems are needed everywhere everywhere right and you don't have to build rome in a day but identify the low-hanging fruit and start with something today to put a system in place for the growth areas of your business yeah it's super key just touching back on your previous slide, we called reactive and proactive organic and go get it type work. And the organic work that came in was nice, you know, uh, referral here, referral there that we didn't really ask for, or they saw the guys working in public, or they saw a yard sign we left off. That 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 type of work is nice, but really the big growth and the big money came from the proactive sales from us actively reaching out to people that did not even know they wanted our service yes exactly i mean that's where all the that's the difference chris i mean this is a profound thing that is the difference between an average self-employed guy who has a company who never quite gets legs and gets big and you know you and howard partridge guy the guys who have do millions in revenue and build these giant things in just a few short years this is the difference, is the marketing of proactive sales division of their company. Most people, Chris, they just hope that people see them and they hope their mom posts on Facebook to call my son's business. And they, that's all fine, but you can't grow quickly and you can't grow big. It'll take you 42 years to get a big company that way, right? Yeah, and you can you can make much much better money off proactive sales because you spurred the idea in their mind that yeah I might want to get my house washed and I got this piece of mail I didn't know that I wanted it I'm gonna call you up and book I'm not even gonna call around and check prices because I have your price right here yeah Boom. yep you put the idea in their head it's proactive sales you're in control and reactive sales are nice you need them they're great. They're important, but you're not really in control. You can't build a business model off of hoping that people call you because maybe they'll see your truck because you can't measure that. It's kind of all over the place, and you, you can't increase it you, unless you get more trucks, right? But, yeah, and you're leaving too much to chance. It's too yeah, risky. It's too risky. It's Proactive is more profitable. You get faster growth, and it's less risky. So. Here's some some areas for proactive sales. You got print, phone, bog, and static. Bog is my kind of internal word I use for boots on the ground. I think you just mean go get it, right? So you, that would be like my sales manager going out and doing stuff, going to trade shows, the chamber, the BNI networking groups, shaking hands, meeting you know property managers, taking bagels. I mean, we'd literally take bagels and go into um, property management companies, do a little five minute presentation, just say hi, drop off donuts. Those are all important things to get big um, commercial work. And that's a, a boots on the ground, and it's a form of a proactive sale. Print, you're huge with direct mail, right? You direct mail like, till your eyeballs fell out. I mean, you were all over the place just bombing direct mail, and, and it worked. Phone is huge. Um, the, yeah. guy, the guys that bought my company, they have this crazy call center phone system that's unlike anything I've ever seen. And they, they, they've... They're just killing it. I mean, literally just 
just crushing it. And they're just doing outbounds all day long, working the list of all these companies they have all over the country. And it works really, really, really well. Um, static is like a yard sign or having a system to get referrals, not just letting it happen, but being intentional about trying to increase the amount of referrals. That could be a proactive sales, I think. Um, but let's talk about a blind spot. I'm excited to talk about this, okay? Relationship marketing. What happens after the sale, Chris? What happens? You got a deal. You clean the thing. They they like you. They give you the check. Then what? Then what? Do you just hope that they call next year? I mean, we were big on relationship marketing, on saying thank you and meaning it, on asking for referrals lots of times, and on loyalty and retention. Like, a huge blind spot for small business, in my opinion, is attrition and not following up after the sale, which really leads to the attrition. Do, do you agree? Mm-hmm. What do you have to say? About oh, that? yeah, yeah, totally. We, we called it basically friendship marketing on site. We would really you know, try to try to connect, try to have a meaningful conversation with the decision maker that was there that hired us. And then you know, we followed up after the fact. We gave them a call to make sure everything was cool and they were thrilled to death. And we even sent them a, a thank you card with a little survey on the back just because maybe they didn't get the phone call. And uh, that made it just so much easier in six months to call them back up and get them on the schedule. Absolutely. Um, Here's the deal. When you're a small company, I think by default, all of us, we start out as being very transactionally minded. Like we're like a hungry lion. We're looking for the gazelle and we catch the gazelle and we eat it. And and so we got the job. We did the job. We made the money. And now we're looking for a new gazelle. But guys, don't miss this point. Everybody you've ever done work for is your biggest asset to your company. They are the bread and butter. They are the lowest hanging fruit. You can get more dollars out of them than anyone. You have the trust built. But you need to stay top of mind with your customers. It doesn't mean you have to harass them every seven days. But what it means is that you need to have a system in place to say thank you and mean it, to ask for referrals and mean it, and, and just just not even try to sell them stuff, but just be top of mind. Stay in front of them. Send them an email once in a while with a do-it-yourself tip. Send them a, uh, a Facebook message checking in. I don't know. There's lots of things you can do, but relationship marketing is a really important part. Um, I want to talk to you about saying thank you and why it's profound because there's a psychological trigger in people's head, and it's called it's called the gratitude effect. They've done university studies on this, and I think that service guys... They complete a job. They think because they did a good job, they're good, right? But but customers have the memory of a goldfish. <laughs> they yeah. forget about you like seven minutes later. Even though they, they like you, they don't have bad thoughts about you. They think you're cool. They think you're awesome. But when you leave, they, they don't care about you. They care about the mortgage and their kid's soccer game and the other thing. So here's the deal. When you're done with a job, you need to more than once in a unique way – Say thank you to them. And what it does, it triggers what's called the gratitude effect. The way that it works is this. When you say, you know, Chris, I just I just want to take 10 seconds here and be cheesy for 10 seconds. Thank you so much for hiring our company. You know, we are a family business and my kids' groceries get bought because of people like you trusting us. And I just want to sincerely say thank you. Okay. It goes a long way. What if you and everybody in your company said exactly the way I said it, just like I said it, with that passion, that sincerity? What if you said that every time on a job? What would that do for your business? And then after you leave, 
the office manager calls. Hey, Chris, uh, my name's uh, John. I'm, I'm the office manager at ABC Cleaning. I'm just following up. I want to make sure that we exceeded your expectations. How did everything go? Oh, wait, great. Josh was awesome. You know, everything went perfect. Oh, awesome. You know, Chris, I just want to take a second and just sincerely thank you for your business because as a small family company, you know, we rely on people like you and we appreciate it. And me as an office manager, I personally appreciate it. So I hope you have a great day. Boom. What if you actually said that every time? And then let's not stop there. They get a postcard. Guess what it says on it? Thank you so much for your business. As a small family company, we certainly... <laughs> are you starting to see the pattern? I think I'm being redundant. But the gratitude effect, what it does, people feel obligated when you say thank you sincerely to them. They feel obligated to help you more in the future so that you'll say that to them again. It's yeah. this weird thing that humans have. And it's, it's rooted... Technically, it's rooted in selfishness a little bit because when you say thank you to the guy, to, to Chris, right, he feels good about himself. And because he wants to feel good, he's always looking for ways to get you to say thank you like that again because it makes him feel amazing. So it's, it's a real thing. Yeah, it's huge. It's, um, it could almost be considered reciprocity. Um, yeah. We tried to say thank you to everybody six times. We thanked them when they called to book the appointment. We thanked them uh, for allowing us to do the job when we gave them the reminder call. We thanked them when we got on site and added up their windows and told them what we were going to be charging them. We thanked them when we left. We thanked them in the follow-up phone call to make sure everything went all right. And we thanked them again one more time in the survey we sent them out. That's six thank yous. It's huge. We did the exact same thing. We, We said thank you a million times. We asked for referrals a million times. The point is, is if you guys don't have a system for this, you need to find a pre-existing system or do something to start down this road. Because if you're going to grow, and that's what this webinar is about, is growth, you need to make sure you're not losing people out the back door for every new customer you're bringing in the front door. And people, guess what? They don't call you when they're leaving your company and say, hey, just want to let you know this year we decided to go with a different company. Um, you don't have to update your records or nothing. I just This is a courtesy call. <laughs> I'm going to hire the other guy down the street. <laughs> it doesn't happen. They just kind of never you just never hear from them again and you don't know what happened so if you're intentional at the tip of the spear point of the transaction everything will change in your business and if you if you look at the relationship past the transaction and in that gap in between you know today and the next time they hire you if you can stay top of mind and say thank you a few times and check in with them in in, in a systemized way your attrition will be next to nothing and if there is a problem you'll find out about it You'll be able to fix it. It'll have a big impact on your business. So let's recap. Say thanks at least five times. Say thanks in a systemized way. Be sincere. And oh, by the way, that's why I built SendJim.com. That's what my software company literally does. This was the reason my business succeeded is because we were obsessive with asking for referrals and saying thank you like a million times throughout our customer life cycle. So build something yourself to do it, whether it's a handwritten thank you card, which I think is an incredibly good option. If you don't have time to do that, delegate it. If someone else doesn't have time to do it, use something like Send Jim. It does it for you. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about loyalty. This is another way to, to, to protect yourself against attrition, which means customer leaving you. Uh, loyalty is a profound thing. Why? Because of the cost of attrition, right? It costs money. So Remember, Chris, we talked about the customer acquisition cost. So let's say it's 50 bucks. It costs you 50 bucks to get a customer. Well, 
and your goal is to get a thousand new customers. So in your mind, you, you're thinking, okay, it's going to cost fifty thousand dollars to get a thousand new customers. Here's why it's going to cost more than that: attrition. Because after you get your thousand new customers, you don't even realize, and most people forget that they lost two hundred customers because they died, they moved, or they just went to someone else, right? So really, you have to buy two hundred extra ones just to get to your goal, right? Chris, how? Uh, what do you have to say? Yeah, I, you know, loyalty's huge. It is huge. Attrition is a real thing. So you really want to set these things up so that there is a little bit of loyalty there. It is so much easier to bring back a repeat client than it is to go and get a new one. And it's way, way, way cheaper. Yeah, it's like, what is that statistic? It's like eight times cheaper to keep a customer than it is to get a new one. So don't um, forget about the guys you already got. (laughs) Don't forget about the clients you already have (laughs) because you're so focused on the future. So communicate with your customers year-round. Communicate without selling. Not every time you... You don't always have to be hard-closing them on something. You can send out an email or make a newsletter or something that just checks in or has a do-it-yourself tip or something. Uh, It can be brief, but it keeps you top of mind. It makes them feel loyal to you psychologically. Um, But it must be sincere and not not cheesy. Um, And by the way, this is what SendGem does. So referrals um, is the next big deal, and it's profound to get referrals uh, because of the customer acquisition cost and the close rate. So let's talk about referrals. It's cheap to harvest a referral and... A referral doesn't have to be just an organic sale. It doesn't have to be something that, oh, cool, that just happened. No, no, no. You can have a little more control over it. The way that you get control over it is by having a, uh, a plan in place to ask for referrals many times throughout the process. And you're going to get 10 times more of them if you ask five or six times for referrals than you do right now if you're just asking once or none. Uh, because people want to refer you. They just they have that goldfish memory and they forget. I mean, how did you guys have a referral system in place, Chris, where you were intentional about asking for them, or was that not a focus for you? We would ask for a referral before we even did the job. When we did the confirmation appointment, yeah. we would we would slip in there, and you know we'd be able to bring this price down for you a little bit if one of your neighbors wanted to get this done on the same day. Boom. That was one way, and our final way was doing it on our uh, thank you card. We had a really, really, really solid referral program in place. Basically, uh, for you know every five people they recommended to us, they would get a free service. Yeah, and we did the same thing. We asked for referrals at the estimate appointment by using a group uh, scheduling discount technique, which is exactly what you just said. And but the point is. We asked, I think, six times throughout our customer life cycle directly for a referral. And we used the same language every time. As a small family company, blah, 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 blah. We rely on customers for you, blah, 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 blah. Okay? The point is is that when you do that, you're intentional. You make it part of the daily behavior of your entire team. You're going to get a ton of referrals. They're cheap. And the close rate is super high on them because they're coming into you hot, man. Referrals come in hot. So let's recap. You ask for referrals five plus times. Ask in a consistent way. Be sincere. Oh, by the way, shameless plug, that's what SendGym.com does. So what are the blind spots of small business when it comes to growth? I think it's relationship marketing. They don't focus on attrition. There's tons of business sneaking out the back door. Not enough. And, and so every new one coming in the front door isn't quite 
getting them to their growth goals as fast as they think it is. Uh, Chris, I want to hand this over to you to give us some direct mail tips because this is a viable way to grow. Direct mail is kind of on the rise right now because everything being digital for so long, when people get a quality piece of physical mail, they're actually responding to it very positive, especially younger customers, because we haven't had as much direct mail for the last 10 years. And so that's kind of a tangent. But tell us how you built such a giant business using direct mail. Yeah, you know, direct mail is extremely, extremely effective. And I've only seen the effectiveness of it grow over the years. We've been hearing nothing for the past 10 years other than print is dead, print is dead. So less people were doing it, obviously. And that leaves a lot of room in the mailbox for people that are doing it. Uh, We had two basic types of direct mail we did. We did four by six cards to our existing customer database six times per year offering different services, which start with a spring-themed one. All right, spring's going to be here. We would time that to hit on the first day of spring, and it would just book so much work. It would fill us up with months' worth of work. And then throughout the year, we'd send out a couple more. You know, there'd be a fall one. There'd be a summer discount one. There'd be a Father's Day one. We'd we'd always be rolling out to our uh, existing customer database. And then we were using what they originally called the dropship method, and it's recently morphed into what a lot of people know as EDDM, Every Door Direct Mail. It's a program that the United States Postal Service has. It's extremely effective. It's very cheap. Uh, You can put an 8.5 by 11 full thick cardstock postcard into somebody's mailbox for like 14 cents. It's insanely cheap. And the really cool thing about it is you get you get this great deal on it because you're 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 laser targeting where these things go. Um, we, as I mentioned before, serviced about 275 different zip codes. And every other year, what I would do is kind of evaluate our service territory. I would, in a spreadsheet, throw down every town and every zip code we mail to, and I would start pulling uh, local demographic information from the county websites, specifically median household income. And we'd sort that list by uh, the people that had the most disposable income to the least. And we'd concentrate on that top 10%. We'd use Google Maps and we'd drill into those neighborhoods and we would pick the very nice routes where they had the cookie cutter homes that we loved, the 35 to 50 window type houses that are pretty common in New Jersey. And we would just bomb them over and over and over again. We had one really good zip code where like 20% of our overall revenue came through. I would hit them eight times a year. Once a month in busy season, they were getting a piece of direct mail from us with different services. Other zip codes, we mailed less frequently, but it's uh, it's really an amazing thing. You can, you can laser target it. You can be very specific. And um, it's only getting cheaper and more effective because less people are actually doing it. And you said a lot there, but I want to unpack a few things for everybody watching here to recap. Hopefully you're writing some of this down, <laughs> first of all, because this is gold, guys. This is how he did this, okay? And second of all, the power of targeting is one thing I want to touch on. And I also want to contrast what you just described to me against Bob. Bob is a hes a guy. He's competing with you in, in New Jersey. And if there really is a Bob, I'm not calling you out by name. I'm just doing a fake scenario here. <laughs> But there's this guy, Bob, and, and he buys a thousand door hangers, and he's like, he's ready to launch his dream, right? 
So he goes out and he does his door hangers and he sits by his phone patiently and waits and his results are not what he expects and he's disappointed and so he's he says direct mail doesn't work or door hangers don't work or whatever. He does postcards. But he's competing against you, right, with your marketing calendar and your team and your targeting by demographic, zip code, and income, focusing on the 10 per, top 10% with your Google spreadsheet, bombing out these just massive things, hitting people. I call that farming when you constantly are hitting the same people. Boom, 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 boom. That guy, I mean, almost has no chance. And the sad part is, is that it doesn't have to be that way. He could take his little budget and do exactly what you just said on a smaller scale, and it would work exactly the same way as what you just said. He just doesn't know how to do it. And it drives yeah. me crazy because we're telling you how to do it. I hope, God, if some of you guys go out there and kill it, you better email us and tell us how you totally rocked this out after the webinar because we want to hear that story. That's the whole point of doing this. So laser target, saturate, farm over and over and over, keep going back and hitting them. Our original version of uh, Send Jim was just a bidding tool that'll let you send postcards with a picture of the house on it and a price on the back. And we did some samples with Chris in New Jersey. Do you remember that, Chris? It was a few years back. And they, they got like 4% response rate. And the reason was they're perfectly targeted to the right homes and they had a real price on them. So they're really personalized. So you guys can have a small budget and be creative and, and get these types of results. So direct mail is not dead my friends <laughs> okay no, no not at all and that's where the the, the uh, marketing calendar really comes into play because you can lay out where you're going to mail each week mail a little if you're going if you're going to get into it mail out a little bit each week it doesn't have to be a ton but what you can do is you can coordinate so you're also working in the areas that you're currently mailing to mm-hmm. so not only are they getting the postcard, but they found out Mrs. Smith down the road just used us. And they saw our trucks right. and they saw the sign. It all ties together. Yes. And with a marketing calendar, you can do that. Yes, exactly. And you could have a newspaper display ad or some sort of other thing. It can all, it's all those multi-touch points that really is the, brings the power home. And let me ask you a question about direct mail, actually. Would, sure. you, would you rather mail 1,000 postcards once? Or would you rather mail 200 postcards to the same people five times? I would rather mail 250 postcards to the same people four times. Okay, so here's the point to everybody watching this. You have to farm. You have to hit people more than one time. This is one of the biggest things people don't get. Even when they use our software, they'll do a mailing once and it's a spray and pray method, right? They do it and they go, oh man, or whatever. If you do it multiple times over and over and over, you get your biggest yields on the third and the fourth time you're doing it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it also it, this works for somebody that's not even really looking to grow. They're just looking to make more money. Like if, if I was a solo window cleaner or a pressure washer out there, what I would definitely do is I take my little customer database and I would do a mailing to them four times a year and just to them and just to them only. And that would completely fill my schedule up to with work to the point where once I was booked out a month, I could continually raise prices yep. and be making more really by doing less. Yep. Exactly. It's not just about volume, right? It's about profitability. And when you're busy and you're packed out and your schedule's packed because your growth systems are working, then you can really start cranking up the profitability. 
Yeah, and you know, a four by six postcard is extremely cheap, and it keeps you top of mind. And you know what? People don't get so many postcards in the mail anymore, so they really take a good look at them. Yeah, and that was my point going into it. I've read they've done some studies on that, and it really is true. It works. One of the things Send Jim does is you can use it for a five around. I don't know if you guys did this in your business, but let's say you're doing a job at a house. That house is in a subdivision, right? So it has five neighbors. It has the two homes next to it and the three homes across the street from it. And those are all super hot leads for you because they're the same demographic, same types of income typically. You're going to have social proof because you just did work for their direct neighbor. So what you can do is you can take a picture of those five homes and send a a five-around sequence to them And by pushing one button on your phone, you can have a postcard go out once a month for six straight months just saying, hey, we just did work for your neighbor. Give us a call. We'll do work for yours. Here's your price. And and it's automatic, right? So rather than just spraying and praying or blanketing an entire postal carrier route, you could use this app and just do five rounds. So every time you do a job, send that six-card sequence to those five neighbors. It takes 20 seconds to do it. And you're going to get that farming effect. Plus, you know, it has a picture of the house on it and a price, so it's really targeted. So just just a little FYI strategy tip. Okay, let's talk about pricing tips. You know, I don't know how you guys price stuff, but I do know that however you price your products and services, you should have a systematic way of doing it so that you can train more than one guy how to properly and accurately price your work. Um, I'm a big fan of packages. No matter who called us and no matter what they asked for, we gave them a price for every single thing we did. We quoted everything. And then we would take all those prices and pull different services and and give them a price for like three different packages that we would offer. And here's another key. You don't want to necessarily close 100% of your leads. If you're just starting out and it's just you and you have no customers, you're going to want to get as high as you can because it's not just about profitability. It's about volume. But if you're an established business, you should only be closing probably 60 to 70% of your leads or else you're leaving money on the table. Um, that's an opinion, but it's, and it's my opinion. Chris, do, does your opinion vary from that at all? Yeah. Our number was 90%. Mm-hmm. Um, we had our phone room really dialed. We, we got a good, good portion of our work from our phone room. It was the, uh, the beating heart of our business. And we could sell on the phone really, really good. And I knew the magic number was about 85 90%. And uh, I may have mentioned this, but we had supply and demand pricing. I would literally change the prices on things every day based upon what our close rate was. Mm. Oh, we closed uh, 92% yesterday. Let's, uh, let's bump window prices a buck today. Wow, that's interesting. I mean, you don't want to leave money on the table. That's the, the main point. So... Make this your own in your business. Find a sweet spot for yourself. You don't want to be underpriced. You don't want to be overpriced, but there is a sweet spot. And you don't have to get every single deal to be a profitable business. That's kind of my main point with that. And let's talk about creating value, okay? First of all, you should be worth a lot more than your price. This creates what's called a value gap, right? So if I told you, Chris, hey, I got a sweet car for you. It only costs ten grand. you are going to say... Well, what, what, what kind of car is it, right? It depends, right? <laughs> so the price for your service 
it doesn't really mean anything until it's surrounded by the context of what they get and what your company's like and what it smells like and feels like and what it sounds like and how you answer the phone and how you roll up and all that has to do with creating value. So if down to your company uniform to employee ID badges to the way the tone of your office worker's voice when they answer the phone to your truck and how clean and how organized it is to the technician and how they talk, all of that stuff has to do with creating value. And if you're going to have a growth plan, which is what this webinar is about, today you need to create a ton of value because that's how you ratchet up your price so you can still you can be expensive but still be a good value right so if i told chris hey i'll I'll sell you a car for 10 grand i'll sell you a 1982 um yugo right rusted out four billion miles on it 10 grand right now right he's gonna laugh because it's a terrible value right it's not about the price it's about the value but i told him or you can buy a 2015 Corvette Stingray edition, right? Well, but but the Corvette costs twenty thousand dollars. Okay. Well, is he gonna buy the basic transportation for ten or buy the Corvette Stingray for twenty? Well, twenty costs more, but ninety nine out of a hundred people are still gonna choose the Stingray because you're you're insane if you don't buy that one. That's what your cleaning business is like. That's what your service business is like psychologically in your customer's brain. You need to feel expensive so when they get your price and it's only a thousand dollars it'll be worth it still did did i explain that correctly yeah yeah absolutely a value gap is super key and i think a lot of it also like if you take a step back comes down to how you present what they're going to get before you tell them the price and so don't forget mrs smith while we're there we are going to take down every screen and hand scrub it and run it through our screen machine we're going to wipe out and detail your sills we're going to do the inside and the outside and pull your mullions down and dust them off one by one and put them in back very carefully and we'll return everything to its original condition for only twenty dollars per window boom that's and, and the guy competing against you bob again Bob, he writes his price on the back of his business card, and he says, "All right, you're, it's going to be uh, three hundred bucks to do your windows. Let me know if you want to hire me. Have a great day." <laughs> right? <laughs> and he's competing against that. I mean, and your price, by the way, is four hundred bucks. But guess who gets that job every time? And then guess what Bob does because he keeps losing these jobs? He lowers his price. That is so yeah. common because he's he's confused. He's like, "Oh my god." I, the lady didn't call me back, and the lady before her didn't call me back, and, and the guy last week didn't call me back. i got to lower my price. No, no, no. You don't have to lower your price, Bob. You have to increase the value, the perceived value that the customer has. Yep. When people would ask us to clean their gutters, we didn't just say, yeah, we'll clean your gutters. It's 100 bucks. We said, okay, we're going to start by handbagging all the debris that's clogging up and damaging your gutters. After we're done with that, we're going to flush all the gutters out with water using a forced water method so that everything's nice and clean. And then lastly, we're going to finish by checking all your downspouts to make sure that they're flowing properly. The cost for this service is only $99. Boom. Totally different way of explaining the same thing, but it creates more of a value gap when you explain it that way. And we're going to take all the debris off your property. We'll leave you with no mess. Boom. It's beautiful. So here's another thing with growth, okay? I do my best work when I have a knot in my stomach. All all that means for me is you should be outside your comfort zone a little bit, right? Great, spectacular, magical things don't happen while you're just doing, you know, run-of-the-mill, boring, normal, you know, 
stuff. You're going to have to stretch your horizon a little bit, expand your horizon, excuse me, and stretch yourself a little bit. So we, you're going to need to try new things. You're going to need to spend money that you haven't spent before. You're going to need to try new products, software, invest in your education, network with people in Facebook groups, put together a real plan. You know, There's risk involved when you do this. You're going to spend late nights working in a spreadsheet for hours getting no pay. And guess what? That's when you're going to do your best work is when you're, you're outside of that comfort zone moving towards a new way of doing business. And let's be honest, this is super hard. It's not easy, but it's good. And it's good for your family. It's good for your business. It's good for your employees. You know, One of the things I tell my employees is that if I do this right, guys, if we do this right, it creates more opportunity for all of us. If they want to have that living wage with health insurance and, and, and have the paid vacations and have the stuff, that stuff's not available to a one-man show business with a, a couple part-time helpers. But it is available to a $5 million business. You know, and, and that would be my motivator to the guys. You know, let's go. Yes, we're small right now, but let's get there. You know, give me permission to lead you. Give me permission to execute on this plan. And, you know, don't despise small beginnings. We talked about this in the first webinar, too. Small beginnings are good. They're not bad. Embrace them. Embrace them. I had a horribly small beginning. I lived in a trailer, delivered pizzas, uh, made no money, was totally broke, and I started cleaning windows. And then that kind of fell apart and fizzled. I went into banking, into the mortgage industry for a while, got a job as a banker, and quit a perfectly good job to start um, my business the, the real way the second time and you know never looked back Chris he was eating bologna sandwiches when his company did a hundred thousand a month because he was reinvesting every penny he made you know humble beginnings are a great part of the story yeah embrace them you will uh, gain a much deeper understanding of how your business operates when you're not playing around with a lot of money. Yeah, that's true. I agree. And, uh, you know, focus on creating minimum viable systems. You don't have to build some complex, crazy thing. I don't want you guys to be overwhelmed by this stuff. If you need help, we're here to help. But you can do this stuff a few minutes a day. Chris mentioned in the uh, first webinar, you know, 30 minutes in the morning, he'd get up early and he'd work on systems. He'd write a few down. Did you say you would do five a day or something, Chris? I would try to crank out five a week. Five a week. Okay. So he'd do one every morning, spend a half hour on it, and there you go. Boom. Everybody can find an extra half hour. Um, let's look at a cool Chinese quote. The best time to plant a tree is 100 years ago. The second best time is today. I literally love this quote because I, I'm an all or nothing person, so I relate to people that it's like you don't want to start because you can't have everything you want right now, so it's like, ah, why even do it? But the reality is, is you, you, you got to take that first step. You have to either invest in your education, reach out, or spend those late nights, start the spreadsheet, start the system. You have to begin the process if you're ever going to have any chance of reaching your destination. And in the first webinar, we asked you guys, what is your why? You know, did you do this so you could fish three days a week? Did you do this so you could volunteer with a ministry and help youth? Did you want to start an orphanage? What was your big wild dream when you started your company? The one that you're too intimidated to share with people. You know, you're not going to get there unless you start. And right now is a perfect time to start. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be huge. You, you can do just a couple little things. The key is just to do it. 
Start today. Sit down. Write down some ideas. Think about where you want to take this thing. What does it look like in your ideal world? Yeah. Write it out. If you don't have any great ideas, then maybe the thing you take action on right now isn't your system yet, but find that new friend, find that new mentor, find that person that's like-minded in your community, take them out to lunch, build that relationship, just do something that's going to move you in this direction. And, you know, let's just roll right into a recap here because I think think everybody's getting the point here. Uh, First of all, we talked about our, uh, our pie chart. You need to have the ability to service. You need to build out a marketing calendar. You need to reverse engineer your financial goals and your revenue goals. Begin with the end in mind. And you need to optimize your channels. You know, you need to identify your customer acquisition costs and then optimize all those. We also talked about two different types of sales, reactive and proactive, or as Chris calls them, organic and go get them, right? So reactive sales, that's when something falls in your lap. That's where most people live. They just hope that they get lots of things falling in their lap. What you need to do to have massive growth in your business is immediately figure out a way to finance the growth by either reducing your paycheck or getting financing somehow and start doing proactive sales, whether it's direct mail or outbound phone calls or boots on the ground or whatever you're doing. It doesn't matter. Figure out a channel and build out that channel. We also talked about blind spots. Most small business guys that I deal with are very transactional. And I was too in the beginning. Um, I didn't understand that I was losing customers. I just thought everyone loved me. How, how could they not hire me again? You know, Because I, I, <laughs> I genuinely did a good job and I, and I wanted them to like me. But if you're not intentional about saying thank you, asking for referrals and building loyalty and staying top of mind with your customers who, again, have a memory of a goldfish, if you're not intentional with that, you will not grow as fast as you could uh, at a minimum because people are going to be going out the back door and you don't even know it. And uh, you're going to have a weaker business because of it. Yeah, it's very difficult to stop being transactional because, quite frankly, uh, in the beginning, being transactional keeps you alive. It keeps you in business. But it's doing that little extra taking that little extra time to get yourself out of that transactional mindset that'll yeah. make the difference. That's a really good point because being transactional isn't bad, right? I always say getting a sale is like leaving the cave, clubbing something and dragging it home for dinner, right? And there's there's something to be said about that. Like as an entrepreneur, we go get it done. Like we go make it happen and we get the deal and we do the job, we get paid and and that's important, but if you want to grow a big business and automate it, you have to focus on the relationship and the relationship marketing after the transaction also. I'm not saying don't be transactional. I'm saying take it a step farther. Be transactional. Be obsessed with getting that deal, but then keep it going because the transaction will pay and feed you today, and the relationship marketing will feed you tomorrow. Hey, thanks for hanging out, friends. And from all of us here at the Quick Talk Podcast team, we hope you love today's show. We hope that you were inspired to become a doer and not just a listener. Apply what you've heard today in your own business and watch things change for the better. Lastly, remember that all the money in the world can't save your soul. Seek first the kingdom of God, my friends. We'll see you next time. For more information about the Quick Talk Podcast or Joshua's other businesses, visit our website, quicktalkpodcast.com. Have a blessed day.